Let's begin with a little bit of review so we could properly orient ourselves in this book. Now, this book is actually a letter written by Jude, a brother of Jesus and James the Just. His original intent was to write a letter of encouragement, but he got some disturbing information. And now he has written a letter that's filled with emergency. It's a wake-up call to Christians. He's telling them that false teachers have crept into their churches unnoticed, and they're secretly teaching these false teachings. And so it changes from an encouraging letter to an emergency letter. Now, the book has this extreme nature, and you're going to feel it as we go through it. It is filled with metaphors and images and illusions. Now, what's tricky for us to interpret this book properly is that these illusions and metaphors and images all come from Jude's world, and they're almost meant to take us to his world, to another place. But because we're 2,000 years removed, that can prove incredibly difficult. So we will spend time discussing these images and metaphors and illusions in order so that we can take the truth from his world and properly apply it into our world. Now, on that note, let's dig in. Jude verses 5, 6, and 7. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude comes out of the gate like a heavyweight boxer. It's like as soon as the bell rings, he comes out in attack mode. And he begins by listing three images of judgment. And for us, you could, you could feel the weight of it. It is heavy imagery and talks of judgment from God. Now, one of the things Jude wants you to know is that, yes, God loves you. Yes, God loves the world. But he's also a holy and just God and will bring judgment upon the wicked. Now, the way he introduces these images of judgment is very important. He introduces them in a triad. And this will be with us for the rest of our study in the book of Jude. He loves to list things in groups of three. It's as if he's never satisfied with playing one musical note. He always wants to play a chord. Now, we saw an example of this in week one, where Jude said he wanted something to be multiplied upon believers. And he listed three things. Mercy, peace, and love. It's a mercy, peace, and love. It's the, the first triad of the book. But now what he does is he gives us a new triad, and it's a triad of judgment. He tells us to, to remember and remind yourself of these three pictures. That judgment was brought upon a people as they left the land of Egypt, namely Israel. That judgment was also brought upon angels who did not stay within their position. And then lastly, the third note in the triad is judgment was brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let's go back and look at the first image. Jude reminds his readers that God brought judgment upon Israel as they left Egypt. Now, why would that be an important reminder for these Christians? Well, Israel was delivered 
out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and then they were to go to the promised land. But if you're familiar with the story, the spies go out and they bring back a report. Joshua and Caleb are there and they say what's facing newly delivered Israel. And the people lack faith at that moment. And because of their lack of faith, judgment is brought upon them. Now think about this. Why would Jude at this point bring up a people who were delivered and brought into freedom, but then subsequently faced judgment? And the answer is this parallels the Christian's experience. They are newly delivered Christians, but now they are facing a temptation that may draw them away from faith. And Judas telling them, yes, God loves you. God is for you, but make, make no mistake about it. You can still fall into these false teachers doctrine and subsequently fall into judgment. Now, one of the other interesting things about this is who does Jude say was there in Egypt and bringing about that judgment. He says it's Jesus. Jesus is the one. Now, when you usually think of Jesus, you think of the New Testament, but Jude's claim is actually something much more extraordinary. He's doing something the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 10.4. He's listing Jesus as the person who was involved in these Old Testament narratives. As this, he's equating the person of Jesus with the holy covenantal Hebrew name of God in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh. This is an extraordinary claim that the New Testament authors are making. They are equating Jesus with the person of the God of Israel. So the first note in our triad of judgment is the people, Israel, leaving Egypt. The second note of the triad is the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. Now, you may be wondering, what in the world is Jude talking about? Angels who did not stay within their proper position of authority? And this verse kind of sounds weird for us, but you need to know that for Jews in the first century world, the world that Jude occupied, he is referencing an incredibly important foundational verse. In the intertestamental period, everyone would know what this is referring to. It's referring to Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, this is one of the most craziest passages in the entire Bible. It's highly debated, so we don't have time to go incredibly deep into this, but there are some things you need to know. These angels who did not stay within their own position are referred to in Genesis chapter 6 as the Hebrew phrase, the Beni Elohim. In Genesis 6, they're the sons of God. Now, it's important to note that when it says sons of God, it's not talking about a son in the sense that Jesus is the son of God. And it's not talking about sons in the sense that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. It's talking about these spiritual beings. And whatever is going on in that text, there are some things that, again, Jews in the intertestamental period, the time before the New Testament is written, and in the first century, there's some things they believed about this text. 
Nearly everyone saw Genesis 6 referring to spiritual beings that somehow looked down upon earthly women, saw them as attractive, and took them as wives. So some people wonder, well, how does a spiritual being take upon physical form? The Bible doesn't say. Some people would say, well, maybe it's what happens in the New Testament where an angel or a demon like physically possesses the body of someone else. So maybe it's something like demonic possession that then seeks out after these women. Now, we're not going to get into that debate and exactly figure out what's going on. It's important to know is that in the first century world, these, this story was seen as spiritual beings who broke God's law and interacted with women in some forbidden way. And because of that, judgment comes upon them. Again, remember, this is the triad of judgment. First, it's the people of Israel and judgment came upon them. Now it's these spiritual beings, these Beni Elohim who disobey God and go after something that's forbidden and God brings about judgment. And then the third note in the triad is the image of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you remember that story, sin has overtaken the city and God brings down judgment. Now, what's really crazy about that story is that because of the sexual immorality that's going on in this city, God is going to bring about his judgment, but a few people are saved. A few people actually saved, Lot and a small portion of his family. So it's sort of Jude's way of giving you hope that, yes, judgment comes to Israel and to the angels and to Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you maintain faith, if you maintain faithfulness to the Lord, there is a path to salvation. Now, the the scary thing about all of these images is Jude's writing them to warn believers. Don't be like these people. Don't be like these people. Don't be like this group of people. And the question for the third part of the triad, what's important for us is ultimately Judah saying that Sodom and Gomorrah faced judgment because of sexual immorality. And it makes you immediately reflect upon our culture. I mean, what are our sexual standards? Are we being obedient to scripture? And are we in somewhat a parallel manner ripe for judgment? Jude goes on, verse eight. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Jude introduces us to our next triad. He says that these false teachers are relying on their dreams. And out of that, three things occur. The next triad, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, first off, before we get into the triad, what do we mean by they are relying on their dreams? Now, when you think about dreams, don't just picture what happens when you go to sleep. These people are receiving visions. And what they're doing is they're saying their visions are on par with Scripture. See, Christians theologically believe that the Bible is the divine revelation of God. And it's distinct, it's unique, and it's holy, it's set apart. But these false teachers who have crept in are having visions or claiming to have visions and then taking the content of those visions and saying they are equal to the divine revelation of Scripture. 
And this happens historically all the time. I mean, whenever there's a cult that pops up or some new crazy bizarre teaching, it's usually someone claiming some divine revelation, some divine vision without any evidence to back it up. We see that play out historically again and again. And we don't know exactly how that's working here, but somehow these false teachers are having these visions and out of that is the next triad they defile the flesh, reject its authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So this first part of our triad, they defile the flesh. What's, what's going on there? Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, but most likely the false teachers are teaching rightly that God is gracious and forgives believers. But then out of that, they're saying, if God is going to forgive us and he's gracious, why don't we do what pleases the body? and satisfy ourselves physically in whatever way we want, because God's going to forgive us anyway. And so Jude is saying, these people defile the flesh. They are practicing some form of sexual sexual immorality that they are justifying because of dreams and the grace and forgiveness of God. The second part of the triad is they reject authority. See, they are putting these dreams on some type of level that's equal to the Word of God, the Scriptures. And because of that, they're refusing to come under the authority of probably Scripture, but then also maybe the authority structures that were in place at the early church. There might have been church leaders who were practicing good and sound doctrine and theology, but these people have their own path to follow, and in doing so, they reject authority. The third part of the triad is they are blaspheming the glorious ones. And this is another part in the book of Jude where you go, what in the world is this guy talking about? Who are the glorious ones? I mean, we don't use that type of language today. But for Jude's audience, again, in the first century world, they know exactly what he means by the glorious ones. He's talking about spiritual beings, like the ones that we just previously talked about who left their proper position. The question then is, how are these people blaspheming these spiritual beings? And to that, we turn to next as he gives us a clue and hint what that might look like. Jude verses 9 through 11. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. As if the book couldn't get any more strange. Jude now brings up a story that's not even in the Bible. He brings up a story from something called the Assumption of Moses. And in that story, Michael, the archangel, is contending with Satan over the body of Moses. And the the idea expressed in the story is something like this. Satan is the accuser. That's what his name means. He's the accusing one. And Moses in his life murdered a man. And so Satan might be saying, this one belongs to me. 
And Michael the archangel is basically telling the devil, no, that's not how this is going to go down. But what's interesting is that Michael, who is in scripture like one of the greatest, most powerful of the angels of the spiritual beings, he doesn't come and tell Satan, look, I, I could take you out, man. I'm, I'm one of the best archangels. I, I come with power from on high. He doesn't do any of that. The example that Michael gives when contending with Satan over the body of Moses is that rather than do any of that, what he says and what he only does is say to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Emphasis on the Lord. Michael, an archangel, powerful spiritual being, doesn't try to slander or even uh, say negative things or to bring a, a reviling accusation. What Michael does is say, the Lord rebuke you. These false teachers, Jude says, are blaspheming the holy ones. And so most likely what's going on is they speak very lightly, or maybe we should say carelessly, when it comes to angels, demons, and holy things, and maybe even of God himself. They just treat these things like it's no big deal, rather than understanding the magnitude of the spiritual weight of the things being discussed. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, the book of Jude has so far been a little strange. I mean, it's, it, it exists in a world that's so different than ours. But from today, there is something that Jude is teaching us that's incredibly important and incredibly relevant. See, Jude was not necessarily teaching new information. In fact, he reveals that from the very beginning. He doesn't say, I want to teach you a bunch of new doctrine, but rather he says, I want to remind you. And then as he reminds the audience, he takes them back to truth they already knew in scripture. I mean, Jude makes that explicit. I want to remind you, although you already know this, but let me break it down once more. Remember this, remember this, remember that. See, oftentimes, especially in the church world, we get so focused on learning new things. I want to hear a sermon that teaches me something new about this or something new about that. And that's all fine and well. We should be learning. We should be growing and getting new information. But so much of what we need on a regular daily basis is not new truth. It's to remember and recall the truth that God has already given us. Now, especially in the times that we're living in difficult times, we need to make this a regular daily habit, a recalling and remembering all of the great truths of Scripture. God is holy. He is just. Wickedness will not go on forever. He will bring judgment upon evil. God is loving. He cares for us. God is faithful to us always. We remind ourselves that no matter what happens in this lifetime, God has promised eternity. We approach God as children to a good heavenly father. He is not against us. He is for us. And so, so much of what we need in these moments is not necessarily something new and novel, something we've never heard before, but to remind ourselves of the great truths of Scripture. Evil will be judged. God has condemned it in the past at the cross and will eradicate it completely one day in the future. So as we close, take those moments, take some moments right now to remember, recall, and remind what are the great truths of Scripture that we need to bring back to the front of our minds.
How can we begin to speak God's truth over ourselves to remind us of our exact place before this good heavenly Father?